You have reached the Every Little Thing helpline. Please leave your message in T-3, 2, 1. Hi, Flora and the uh, ELT team. My name is Daniel, and I was wondering, what does a astronaut do when they get back to Earth? Like, do they just take a vacation? Do they chill out? Like, what do they do? Um, I guess it is a factual emergency because I really, really want to know. Hello? Greetings. It's Flora from ELT. Hi, Flora. How you doing? I'm good. Uh, I have a few questions for you before factual liftoff. All right. Why are you calling about this? Uh, I'm a space nerd. Let's make that very clear right off the bat. But Like, are we talking ISS lower back tattoo level of space nerd? <laughs> Uh, not yet, but okay. Like I haven't been to Disneyland or anything like that, but my Disneyland trip was Houston two years ago. So I met up with a friend of a friend who worked at NASA and he actually gave me a behind the scenes tour of the Houston space center. And I thought I was just going to be able to see like, you know, a couple models or, you know, some equipment or something like that. But then he, uh, kind of blew my mind when he took me to the uh, mission control center where we were in like the press room and it overlooks the mission control center floor. I feel like I have this image of, in my mind from movies actually, where there's like yeah. big screens in front and there's a bunch of people in rows. Exactly. And he was going to like what each of the different ops meant and the acronyms and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, okay, we can go down now. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, we can go. Follow me. And I'm like, wait, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? And he just like leads me along. We exit one door off the side and enter the other door, and we're on the floor of Mission Control Center. And I'm about to like piss my pants, like not believing what's going on. I'm like on Mission Control Center floor with all the people that talk to the astronauts with a live view from the International Space Station on screen, showing the Earth rotating in the background. And then he introduced me to the flight director. And I'm just like, why? How, how, what did I do to earn this privilege to be here right now to talk to these people? You know, like, I'm speechless. It was you know, the biggest opportunity of my lifetime. And I have photos and I framed them and they're hanging up at home and I just love it. Oh, you sound starstruck. You know, I don't like follow celebrities or anything like that, but I guess that's what I would probably compare it to. I know that's really dorky, you know, <laughs> no. but uh, space, I love it. What? So what is it about space? Like, why does that cap? Why has that captured your attention? <sighs> you know, uh, it offers kind of like this promise of where humanity could go and what it could be. Space is hopeful. Absolutely, yes. And I guess astronauts are the living embodiment of that. I was thinking about that last night. I really was. I was like, well, they are the promise. They are the ones that are going out there risking their lives to see what else exists. When you called in, you mentioned a particular astronaut. Um, yeah, I was thinking about Christina Cook. 
she uh, just got back uh, earlier this year, and she's actually the uh, longest duration on the space station by a woman. 300, I wrote this down, 328 days. So I am really curious about what happens to an astronaut within like the first 24 hours that they come back to Earth, or like the first week. Like, are they just Netflix and chilling, you know? Or are they actually, you know, working on reports? That's what I'm really curious about. Daniel, we found someone who can answer your question. I'm excited. Someone who loses control over mission control just as much as you do. Oh, wow. Well, Mission Control is an awesome place to see. Oh, my gosh. Oh, dude. Guess who, Daniel? You got Christina. Christina, 11 months in space. Cook. Okay. The smile on my face right now, you guys can't see it, but um, it's hurting my cheeks. Hi, Daniel. Thanks for your question. Oh, Christina. um, Miss Astronaut. Awesome. Dr. Freaking. Hi. Christina can tell you what it's like to return from space because, as you know, she just made that journey a few months ago. Her long trip home began on February 6th. That morning, she woke up 254 miles above Earth, floated out of bed, and she said she was feeling ready. We have just prepared for these big, momentous days for so long that typically the astronauts are the calmest people in the room. And so that was how I felt that day. Um, I didn't really have any nerves. I just felt ready. And um, it was time to go back to my home planet. So she gathered her things and said her goodbyes. Inevitably, no matter how much free time you have that day or how ahead of the ball you are in terms of your packing, the actual moment of goodbye comes quickly and goes quickly. Before we knew it, it was time to hug and then time to get behind the hatch and time to close it. And just like that, we were on to the next chapter. The heroic journey home. Her chariot? A sardine can called Soyuz. Soyuz feels very, very small after you've lived on board the space station for 11 months. And that's saying something because obviously a lot of people think that being on board the space station for 11 months would bring on a sense of claustrophobia or cabin fever. But turns out the Soyuz is even smaller than that. So when you say small, like what should we be picturing? Like a sedan for with five people stuffed into it or even smaller? I would say the front seat of a sedan with four people stuffed in and you're actually crouched to the point where you require a separate set of straps just to keep your knees hugged in tight. Dude, ow. oh man. I didn't know that they have to have freaking seatbelts for their knees. That is ridiculous. Ridiculous. You have to see this. I'm going to send you a picture. It's flying your way. All right. And if you're listening, you can see it right now on Spotify or on Instagram at ELT Show. Just got the photo. Oh, man. Those poor people. It looks like these astronauts have been swallowed by the marshmallow man. Yeah, like you're in a jumpy house and it started to deflate and you're in a spacesuit for some reason. <laughs> Um, I'm fortunate in that I'm not the tallest person in the world, so I actually can squeeze into my seat um, in relative comfort, which means that, you know, it only hurts after the first hour or two. Is it stuffy in there? It's not stuffy. The systems are designed to provide ventilation, even when your helmet is closed. And so 
you know, obviously during the actual reentry and going through the plasma, when you're basically inside a fireball, it can get a little bit warm. Yeah, uh, just, you know, going through thousands of degrees of plasma, it just gets a little warm. I also have a lot of experience being slightly warmed by fireball. Just the first bottle, though, right? Second bottle, you don't feel anything. That's exactly right. That's my lower back tat. <laughs> Two bottles of a fireball? Gotcha. <laughs> so once everyone was folded up into human origami, they closed the hatch and disconnected from the mothership. At that point on, you are in a tiny space castle, just kind of floating out in the blackness of space. Do you feel tiny? You do feel tiny. Because at that point, having lived on the International Space Station, you see what these little vehicles look like against the Earth in the background from very far away. And you see what they look like moving you know, from a speck to being very close to the space station. So you can imagine what you look like from outside. And um, it's, it's a neat feeling. You really do feel like you're just a speck in the universe. I would be terrified. Luckily, we have a lot of training to rely on. And anytime I think when an astronaut might have a sense of fear, we are kind of trained to turn that into focus. So, you know, if I am in the Soyuz and I'm thinking about some of the eventualities of what could happen, I'm reminded that I've got procedures in front of me that I know how to handle anything that would come along. I would like to turn my anxiety and fear into focus. <laughs> it's a nice trick. Okay, so uh, the trip from the ISS to Earth takes about three hours which is crazy to me. It's quicker than flying from California to Chicago by like an hour. So it's very quick that you move from one world to another world. It's very different. Hmm. Did you get a window seat? I did get a window seat. Um, I was in the right seat uh, to the right of the commander, and I had a great view out the window during reentry. Can you see anything? Well, you do. It's like being inside a flame. So... Looking out, you see everything bathed in an orangish color. And then because you're in a fireball, it, it slowly blackens over as the outer layer of the window kind of burns up. So I was really fortunate because before my window turned black and I couldn't see out of it anymore, I had the most stunning view of my entire space flight, which was of the Himalaya Mountains, completely bathed in this orange glow and to watch these mountains that I had seen from above for 11 months suddenly gain relief. And for me to realize that I was actually coming down to view them more from the side than from above and seeing them for, you know, the true mountains that they were was the most stunning thing I saw in my entire space flight. I think that's awesome by like the very definition of the word, just awe. So, you know, I know. So Christina and her crew made it through the fireball. The parachute popped open and at 3.12 p.m. they landed on a snow covered step in Kazakhstan, which probably scared the living mugwort out of some Russian step tortoises. 
by that time, the outer shield on my window had jettisoned so I could see out my window again. And there were people out there walking around. The search and rescue forces were bumbling around. I could hear and see them. And, you know, for me, I had been on board for 11 months and had only interacted in person with 11 other humans during that time. So it was just such a strange feeling to look out a window, any window, and see people. must be so chaotic. I would love to know what's going through her mind. Well, it was really sensory overload. And I was taking in not only the views, but the smells, the grass covered in snow around, the feeling of wind on my face. What was that like to feel fresh air, to feel wind on your face? It was amazing. Um, Something that I didn't realize I would miss until well into my mission was a blue sky. You know, you think of the things you're not seeing, trees, the ocean, things like that. But also, we never see a blue sky because we're above it. We can look down on Earth and see, you know, the blue of the oceans and things like that. But to look up and around and 360 degrees around me to see blue sky was really phenomenal. Hmm, That's something nice that, you know, I hadn't really thought about, but that I maybe I shouldn't take for granted. Like that does seem like a really nice way to start the day looking at a blue sky rather than the darkness of space. Yep, I'll never take that for granted again. Did gravity hit you like a ton of bricks? Like, was it where you're like, oh, my head's so heavy? (laughs) Yes, everything was heavy. And I knew that I would feel heavy, but I thought I would just feel kind of uniformly heavy. But what surprised me was that everything felt heavy in different spots. So I felt like I had giant weights hanging off different parts of my body in unpredictable places. So, you know, I might be laying down um, on the on a cot and trying to sit up and uh, suddenly my shoulder just felt so heavy and I just kept going and toppled over in the other direction. So relearning how gravity feels on your body was definitely not exactly what I expected. Yeah, I wonder if that's how babies feel. Well, initially, in the first couple of days when I was back, my neck muscles hurt just, I think, from holding up my own head. And uh, that was new. And it made me definitely, you know, I was relating to those infants. It's like, buddy, I hear you. <laughs> what about, could you walk? Because I see, I watched your reentry and I saw they carried you in a chair. Like, can, do your legs work? They do. Initially, like kind of within the first half hour when you are being carried, you're very grateful that you're being carried. But maybe only 45 minutes later, you are walking a little bit. Did you have like a a funny gait when you first started walking? Uh, Definitely, yes. Um, People made sure to point that out to me too. (laughs) I've never been famous for being super coordinated. So I uh, have only recovered as much coordination as I had before my flight. (laughs) I wonder if, uh, I'm sure she can't pass a field sobriety test at that point, you know. (laughs) I also love thinking about, like, basically a person who I consider superhuman being my level coordinated. Two bottles in coordinated. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, fireball coordinated. (laughs) (laughs) Was it weird to have your first drink of non-globular water? (laughs) It was weird to not drink out of a straw and out of a packet, for sure. I was fascinated by the first glass of water, the concept of a liquid just, you know, staying inside a little glass vessel. And the concept of pouring was really exciting. Um, (laughs) But I started out simple with water and crackers and then worked my way up to something that I had been really, really missing on board, which was chips and salsa. And 
the wonderful people at NASA had gotten wind that that was the big thing that I was saying that I missed. And so there was a lot of chips and salsa of every variety. And I definitely <laughs> was able to, uh, <laughs> to have a little bit. I feel like you earned it. You know, (laughs) (laughs) that's I'm still using that excuse. I'm not sure when I'm going to actually have made up for a year without chips and salsa. But so far, so far, I'm still using that one. After the break, the ups and downs of readjusting to life on Earth. It was truly the longest time that the female body has been in microgravity. So there were definitely moments where I would wonder, you know, well, this is uncharted territory. I guess we aren't really sure um, what, what recovery is supposed to look like. So here's the timeline. At 3.12 p.m., Christina landed. She wobbled out of the hatch, was carried to the lawn where she sat in a chair and refamiliarized herself with a blue sky and her heavy head. And then she was carried to the medical tent to get checked out. She changed into Earth clothes, hopped a NASA flight back home, and 24 hours after landing on planet Earth, she was touching down on the tarmac in Houston. And her family was there waiting for her. And I could see out the window, I could see everyone out there, my, my mom, my siblings, my husband. And I would say this was where I finally knew that I was back because I had already laid eyes on my loved ones. And so um, NASA has a protocol where after the plane lands, everyone gets off the plane except for the returning crew member and their spouse can come onto the plane so that you can kind of reunite in, you know, in the privacy of the plane rather than being in front of a giant crowd when you first see each other for the first time after so many months. So I stayed on the plane as everyone grabbed their bags and slowly meandered off. And um, I was kind of just waiting for my husband to come onto the plane to greet me. So he he runs up the stairs and uh, he kind of pops his head around the corner. And uh, yeah, we got to see each other again for the first time. Oh, that must have felt so good. I was I was definitely shedding tears. It felt like, okay, I'm truly back on Earth. What happens next? Well, like many things with NASA, you know, it's kind of a mix of the practical and the magical. So after this huge moment, this homecoming, a big reunion, um, then you just sort of start your reintegration process, you know, relearning how to live on planet Earth. That's what I'm here for, the reintegration process. Like, what, what is it that she does for the next couple days? So she had to readjust to Earth life, and she said it had its ups and downs. And one of them was learning to live with an up and down. So I was in a situation where I could walk pretty well. I could stand pretty well. But if I closed my eyes, I got really tippy right away. And I would, you know, Mm. I would fall. Um, So that was one of the biggest challenges because that actually took, you know, a while to come fully back online. Were you worried that it wouldn't come back? 
<laughs> I knew it would eventually, but I wasn't sure how long it would take. You know, it was truly the longest time that uh, the female body has been in microgravity. So there were definitely moments where I would wonder, you know, well, this is uncharted territory. I guess we aren't really sure um, what what recovery is supposed to look like. But I would say after about two months being back, I was feeling pretty normal again. Oh, my gosh. Two months it takes for her to, to feel back to normal? I mean, this is why these people really should be honored for the work that they do. Like These people need to be waited on 24-7 for the first couple weeks. Yeah, and it wasn't just the physical readjustment that Christina had to deal with. The first time that I went to a restaurant, this was, you know, before stay-at-home, um, I felt very strange just interacting with a stranger, like, for example, the waiter at the at the restaurant. And um, also with the idea of so much choice, you know, looking at this menu and having all these options in front of me, being in a busy grocery store when I first started shopping again, um, I didn't want to go by myself. I wanted my husband to go with me and to kind of stick with me at the store. Just I hadn't had to make those types of decisions in a long time. And so um, suddenly having to kind of do those day-to-day tasks again and often doing them kind of in the busy, bustling world um, was, was new. You're in my mind like the bravest person in the world. And it's interesting that a grocery store is now kind of scary. You know, yes. like you've like done this amazingly brave thing. And it's, yes. it's the sort of weird, like, routines of home that are scary now. You know, there's so many um, counterintuitive examples like that. Like, for example, we're strength-wise, sometimes even stronger when we come back than we were when we left. But yet, we can't walk in a straight line. And same with experiences like that. I would be completely comfortable going out the hatch on another spacewalk. But if I had been dropped in the middle of a busy grocery store, I would have been aiming for the door. Um, so yeah, it's, it is, it's, you know, and it, I think it's really a testament to the human body adapts to the situations that it's in. And that becomes our new normal really quickly. And our ability to, um, to define normal with what's around us is, uh, an amazing capability that we have when we're put into new situations. Christina, that's a really hopeful note, especially right now in a time when so many of us, all of us, are adapting to a really what feels like a brand new world. Um, It's nice to hear that you think we can do it. Yes, absolutely, we can do it. And I think we've already shown that. You know, Christina had a final message for you, Daniel. Really? Yeah. Do you want to hear it? Uh, You don't tease me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Daniel, the sense of exploration that we try to carry out in our mission is really about answering humanity's call to explore. And hearing that people are excited about it is exactly why we do what we do. So, Daniel, it's people like you that I think um, embody the spirit of NASA. Okay, Flora, you're making me tear up. I'm not expecting that for this. That is so sweet. Uh, That is, again, smile, freaking ear to ear right now.
If you have a burning question you can't find an answer to, give us a ring. 833 ring ELT. 833 ring ELT. This episode of Every Little Thing was produced by Emily Foreman, Phoebe Flanagan, Annette Heist, and Flora Lickman, with help from Nicole Pasulka and Doug Barron. Our consulting editors are Caitlin Kenny and Jorge Just, scored by Bobby Lord, So Wiley, and Emma Munger, mixed by Dara Hirsch and Enoch Kim. ELT is a Spotify original podcast. My lower back tat is a crouton. Goodbye. Did you know that NASA has, I'm sure you know this, you probably know more than I do about this, but that NASA has a plan to send a woman to the moon by 2024? The Artemis program. (laughs) You know who's in the running? Oh, no way. Christina? Yeah. Oh my! Okay, I feel weird calling her Christina because, you know, bigger than life person here now, um, dude. That's amazing. That would be okay. She's my first choice at this point, and that's not me being biased. It totally is. But yeah, no, she should definitely be up there. I think that she could definitely.